Welcome to the Line Break Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Corlew, and with me as always is my co-host, Bob Segura. Hey there. All right. Today, uh, we're talking talking about a topic very near to our hearts, the poetry of the city of Chicago. Uh, Chicago has been my home for 14 years and has been yours on and off for roughly the same period. It's a city with a very diverse literary scene. Uh, we have a lot of universities here with pretty good and respective creative writing programs, but there's also a lot of non-academic goings-on. Um, Young Chicago Authors, the organization that hosts the Slam Festival Louder Than a Bomb. Uh, U Media, which hosts open mics for teenagers at the Harold Washington Library. And uh, Paper Machete, which describes itself as a weekly live magazine every Saturday at the Green Mill Bar. Those are just a few. I wasn't really sure how to introduce Chicago literature because it's such a broad topic. There are a lot of people to shout out. Uh, broad topic, much like we're the city of broad shoulders. Hey. <laughs> uh, so I did what I always do when I'm stuck on something. I went to the Wikipedia page for Chicago literature. Bob, would you like to hear how they describe Chicago literature? I am really excited to hear <laughs> what the Wikipedia description is. All right. Uh, it says, narrative fiction of the early 20th century, uh, much of it in the style of high-flown romance and genteel realism, needed a new approach to describe Chicago's social, political, and economic conditions. Chicagoans worked hard to create a literary tradition that would stand the test of time, create a city of feeling out of concrete, steel, vast lake, and open prairie. Among the new techniques and styles embraced by Chicago writers were naturalism, imagism, and free verse, themes often centered on exciting but dirty urbanism, as well as the quaint but dark and sometimes stultifying small town. Uh, weirdly, I felt that feels kind of right to me. Um, if I were to sum up Chicago lit, you know, with any kind of succinctness, um, they also had a little um, a little blurb for uh, Stuart Dybeck's short story collection, "The Coast of Chicago." Have you ever read that? I have not. It's pretty good. It's really good. Um, okay. They call it gritty but dreamlike, um, which rings mm. true to me again. Um, I do feel like there's a lot of grittiness to Chicago literature, but a Distinct lack of cynicism and I think an affinity for the city, I, I think. Um, okay. Okay. That's 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 my general impression. So Bob, having recently betrayed Chicago by bolting for some dull town that can't even decide what state it's in, what are your impressions of Chicago's literary scene? Um, I mean I th- I think to start with, like you began with, um, and I think like a lot of quote unquote scenes in Chicago, it is really wide, really broad and hard to pin down. Yeah. Um, and especially as someone who's like gone in and out, um, you know, I, I found my, you know, um, at times feeling a closeness to at least parts of the scene at times feeling like really far away, um, you know, and, and uh, like anything in Chicago, um, uh, I feel like most people I know eventually get really bad about moving about the city, even though like it's a city that is um, fairly accessible. Yeah, um, it's really around. it's really easy to move around the city, but it's also I think I, I choose to blame the winner mostly, but right. uh, it yeah. is it is a huge pain in the ass to even take like a forty five minute train ride in a negative sixteen um, January day, right. But or yeah, even like, a, a 16 a degree that, January day. <laughs> as a result of that being like, yeah, I think it, it's, it's, it could be frustrating to like, I don't know, not have some cohesion among 
um, people going from reading to reading around the city. But I, I mean, I think, I think again, like, as like you were saying, that's part of uh, what made it certainly interesting to me um, was that um, going to a different reading in the city could be an entirely different thing. 100%. Yeah. Entirely different group of people there. Yeah. Uh, I was just, I was just gonna say like, it's like also it's with everything with Chicago. I'm like, yeah, but it's great. Yeah. (laughs) There is a, there is, there's a lot of um, uh, diversity of thought, diversity of styles uh, with the literary scene. And it seems so passe to say there's something for everyone, but it's, you'd really be hard pressed no matter what your um, tastes and aesthetics are to uh, find a reading that doesn't speak to you in some way in Chicago, (laughs) I would say. So yeah. uh, You want to get in some poems, read some poems? I guess we could get into some poems. Let's read some poems. I, uh, I had a a number to choose from because I, uh, while I was teaching at one of the city colleges, um, I had a whole unit for one of our essays kind of thinking about life in the city um, and pulling from some both old and new poems. Um, And so I had this folder on my computer about like 15, you know, what I think are good Chicago poems. Sure. Yeah. This probably won't be the last time we do an episode about Chicago (laughs) poems. I guess that's fair. And um, I ended up pulling one that um, I think my students didn't jump on a lot. Really? Um, Yeah. Um, Just to give a couple shout outs, they really loved, um, there's an Eve Ewing poem. um, I'm from the fire city. um, And that's got like a line about hot chips or hot Cheetos. Mm. Um, Yeah. The, the, you know, the red on your fingers. Uh, there's a Nate Marshall poem that I believe is coming out in the next book. I just saw, like, he read it in an NPR interview. Um, okay, I think called... his new one just came out, like, a couple days ago, didn't it? Or... I just, just dropped, yeah. yeah. Um, it's Finna, called, yeah. When I Say Chicago, um, my students really latched on to. Um, I, I made my students read the Carl Sandburg one. I mean, uh, it's a rite of passage you have to. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it, you know, it really played into kind of that idea of, uh, of what I was interested in talking with my students about is this idea of like, you live in this city that people talk about people who don't live here, who aren't from here, talk about it all the yeah. time in this national conversation. Um, and you know, like, does it, does the way people talk about it is the way is represented in our media kind of like accurate to your lived experience. And that really interested me. Sure. So long story short, um, I chose one, yeah, I, I was kind of surprised some of my students didn't always jump on, but it's by uh, Philip B. Williams, who I think is just like an incredible, incredible poet. Um, and I've seen him read once. Actually, it was at Northwestern. Um, okay. And it was a weird reading where like it was put on by like a program adjacent to their MFA program. Huh. Um, it wasn't very well attended. It was the middle of the day, something I could only make because... I must have already been adjuncting at the time, you know, but yeah, one of those things like I was off by 1 PM. So I could, you know, hustle down right. there. Um, right. Yeah. And this like little building that I had trouble finding in this little room. And he's just, he's great. Just a dynamic reader. Um, and, and such the care that is, I think present in the poems um, came out in his personality. I can't speak highly enough of him in general, his first collection. I'm excited to see what else um, he comes up with, but anywho, I'm rambling. Poem time. Poem time. Let's do it. Uh, This is called Declaration. City of wind and glass, dressed in frozen lace. 
of the wide stone tower that would not burn, of Lake Michigan and the poor who never see the sun-drop lines of light across the cold ache of water, of Telephi's faces spitting water on children in a park obliterated of its pigeons, city of pigeons on train platforms where trains say the names of approaching destinations like prophets. You know me as your restless child. I creep through dimensions of snow-scythed wind and ruthless summers looking for my semblance in neighborhoods, gentrified into dull disasters of coffee and scones. I have loved you like darkness loves the base of a throat, yet songs I could sing for you won't come. City of Lou Malnati's and Giordano's, of segregation and gang wars, of bus drivers who seem to hate me, and so I hate them back. The blade of their impatience, the phantom dark beneath their abrasive eyes, until I meet the one who says, good morning back, and it sounds like I love you and I'm sorry, and I needed to hear that this morning because traffic's slow as a corroded vein and the red line changes races halfway through and that feels wrong and beyond explanation like the parking meters eating our tired bodies down to their good bones. At night, Michigan Ave slips on its suit of lights and tourists while Madison and Central Park roll restless with sharks fried fish and barbershops where a boy sits with the buzz of clippers carving something beautiful from the black curls on his head. You've been on my mind. City of African musical festivals and Bud Billiken parades. City of name chases I refuse to honor. Sears to Willis. The ghost of a Marshall Fields relief oxidized into obscurity. Here is my face, city. Here is my face and my hands are open for you. Here is the body that has rejected your violence, that has been missed by your bullets, city. Here is the scimitar of my tongue to cut you down to your particulars in hope to find something in you to love that will love me back. Yeah, one of these days I'm not going to immediately say, yeah, that's a really good poem. But uh, as with every other poem you pick, that's a really good poem. Uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to the day where we where one of us brings one in and, and we say, man, I just don't like that poem. Yeah, it's, it's going to be weird. <laughs> um, I'm, a, I'm a little pissed off at this poem, though, because uh, I also have a long poem with a similar city of, city of cadence. And this was just way better. Um, so thanks for the discouragement today. Uh, I mean, I, I do also that at least a little bit city of this city of this, am I right? That that reminds me of the Sandberg one. I think uh, so. I think, I think Sandberg pulls that move if I'm right. remembering it correctly. And definitely like Sandberg's doing a lot of, uh, personifying the city and giving it human qualities. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, for me that, that was kind of the fun with teaching that is like, all right, let's dig up what each of these qualities are and then being like, do you still see that? Is that, yeah. true? you like that idea. Ooh, I like that. That's, that's cool. That, I, I need to go back and reread. It's been like 10 years since I read the Sandberg poem. I need to go back and do it again. Uh, um, I mean, this, this poem, you know, talks about gentrification, um, mm-hmm. which again, like one of those things, like I, it, 
I can't imagine, you know, traveling through the city and that not being on your mind a lot. But uh, as you just said that, um, and and certainly the last neighborhood I was living in had had gone through layers of gentrification already. Um, but just as you said that, you reminded me there's a bar on it's on Damon, close to Chicago, that had changed since the last time I moved in and out of the city. And mm-hmm. now they have like lines from that poem on the side of the wall. Oh, like, man. Like, like, I gave it a dirty look every single time. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that for sure. I like this and that I guess, yeah, this spoke to me in particular and that I think it's really about like having a complicated relationship with the city. Yeah. I believe Williams is from Chicago um, and has lived in and out of Chicago. Um, he, you know, he's an academic, so he's taught in another number of places. Um, and, and, you know, and certainly this is describing a different relationship than I have to the city. Um, sure. But all sorts of little parts of it that popped up um, and kind of hit me. And, and I think it's, it's doing something that, I don't know, I think it's generally kind of a smart and interesting move of a poem um, of starting with kind of those observational things and then yeah. closer and closer to home and the personal. For sure. Yeah. It, it does that really well. Yeah. And it starts really broad with like these little Easter eggs that are like pretty obvious to anyone who spent, you know, any time downtown with like the, uh, what was it like describing the water tower as the wide stone tower that would not burn or right. Grant Park as the televised faces spitting water on children in a park right. obliterated of its pigeons. But, uh, but then, yeah, as you, as you get down into it, um, uh, yeah, you get more into like just the, ex- you know, the experience you have with bus drivers. Cause you know, some bus drivers are mean, some bus drivers are really nice. Um, <laughs> or how the red line changes races halfway through and sharks fried fish and which I still have never been to, but, um, right. that's really neighborhood specific. And, um, I like that he shouted out the street festivals and the parades. Like I've never been to a Bud Billiken parade, but I know that it exists in another neighborhood, you know? Right. Yeah, I agree with you. To start big and then, and then get get slowly more personal, I really I do. It's a good move. And I have to shout out the uh, city of name changes I refuse to honor, which is just the most <laughs> Chicago thing ever. Yes, absolutely. Like I call it Comiskey Park still, and Comiskey Park was bulldozed when I was three years old. <laughs> <laughs> I also don't know what the Sox Stadium even is uh, these days. Oh yeah, I think it changed from U.S. Cellular. It's definitely, it's guaranteed rate, I think. That's what it is, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I refuse to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, you, you pointed to that line of uh, the red line changes races halfway through it, and, and you know, it's certainly, um, you know, someone like um, ourselves, outsiders, um, and then starting our kind of Chicago life on the far north side at Rogers Park, like that's this like really vivid thing to me. Um, yeah. realizing how big the city is, how much um, it is segregated, how it you know literally just riding on the train changes that that whole little run. There's like a, just a big long sentence there in the middle um, that starts with what you're talking about the bus drivers. Where to go? It's so funny that uh, the 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 kind of switcheroo of city of Lumonati's and Giordano's line break of segregation and gang wars. You know, just yeah. Stupid, you know, like the pizza place <laughs> reference. And the two like most mainstream big you know, big kind of touristy pizza places too. Right. Like, 
Right. And then, you know, moving into um, the very serious of bus drivers who seem to hate me. And so I hate them back until I meet the one who says good morning back. And it sounds like I love you and I'm sorry. And I needed to hear that this morning because the traffic's slow as a corroded vein and the red line changes races halfway through. And that feels wrong and beyond explanation. Like just kind of expanding it out. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, there's like these multiple sort of, I don't know, like tone isn't the right word. It feels like you can feel the, um, you can feel the desperation of someone who's just having a really bad commute that day. Yes. Um, <laughs> and especially with how long it, like how much it runs on. Yeah. Like I've certainly had like long run on thoughts like that or, <laughs> uh, uh, when you're just when you're just mentally overwhelmed, uh, which which right. the uh, which a, a commute can do uh, very easily, uh, right. even as we praise the CTA for its accessibility, um, <laughs> a commute can very easily do that to you. Um, sure. And yeah, well, it definitely if you feel it in the run-on windiness of the of the stanza. Yeah, and I and I think that that phrasing was really good. Of um, I don't know, you said mental overwhelmness or something, um, but that really speaks to yeah, like. On, on the first level of, yeah, like that awful commute, um, it's cold, you've got to go so far, you, you thankfully caught the one nice bus driver that day. But then also that, like, the kind of mental toll um, of living in a place where you have a complicated relationship to or living in a place just with these kind of, like, big, unthinkably big problems. Yeah. You know, of, of how that does just kind of weigh on you if you're seeing it day after day, you know, if you're thinking about it all the time. Um, of how that can can affect you. Yeah, one hundred percent. To bring it back to the red line changing races uh, midway through, uh, in a similar vein, um, it actually took me a long time to realize how segregated Chicago was because we started out on the far north side, and Rogers Park is like actually a really diverse neighborhood with um, a big African population, big Indian population, and um, and you know you're of course of course by the university, um, but then you. Um, you really don't realize how big the problems are until you take your first train ride, like, you know, past what Harrison, you know? Um, and then you, you just see, Oh, like not only does the, does the racial makeup of the train change, but like the, um, topography of the city changes. And it's just like, it goes from like, you know, these, uh, like high rises. And then of course, like all the downtown buildings and stuff to just like workers cottages and like the very, blue collar neighborhoods. Right. And, um, um, I know, especially for me coming from, uh, uh, Tennessee, which has its share of segregation problems and things like that, sort of for the first year or two, there, believing Chicago would be like this sort of utopian paradise. <laughs> and then learning right. just a little bit about the city and being like, Oh right. yeah, we've got, got our problems up here too. Yeah. Or just like you're saying too. Yeah. The, the red line, um, for those of you who don't know, it is, it's this, entirely the entire north and south of the city pretty much is covered um in this one train line and it's you know just like you're saying of of yeah you get past a certain stop and you notice um you know who's getting on and who's getting off now yeah Uh, you notice that there are bigger lengths of time between stops Um, yeah you notice literally the quality of the stops you know how much money is put into which stops all of that stuff is kind of like right up in your face when you take a big long ride like that. Yeah. Right. And that's, that is the span of, I mean, you can get from the Howard stop, literally the northernmost stop uh, in the city to like 
Roosevelt, where he would transfer if he wanted to go to Midway. Mm-hmm. In the span of, you know, hour 45, it's not, a, it's not, I mean, it's long, but it's not the longest ride in the world. Um, right. And it's not the, uh, it's not the greatest distance, but it, it, it just like, it does shift quite dramatically. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And yeah, like you're saying, with the amount of money put into the stops, like how many North Side stops have been redone in like the last five years uh, and totally modernized, and that's those art resources being dumped in the South Side uh, uh, stops right. uh, as often. Right. Yeah. Wow. Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> we started out so positive. <laughs> um, let me just zoom in one more time. There's not, not a true turn, but at least like a signal um, towards the end where he says, you've been on my mind, city of African music festivals and Bud Billiken parades, city of name changes. Um, so you've been on my mind, and then here is my face, city. Here is my face, and my hands are open for you. Here is the body that has rejected your violence, that has been missed by your bullets, city. Here is the scimitar of my tongue to cut you down to particulars in hope to find something in you to love that will love me back. And there's, I think that's just this like incredibly open-ended kind of moment um, of, you know, here I am, I am of you, I have, um, you know, survived you, I guess is really kind of what he's saying in those lines. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... Um, the, I'm going to keep saying the word even though I'm not confident pronouncing it. Uh, <laughs> I think you're doing it right. <laughs> the scimitar of my tongue, um, you know, of, of talking about the poem um, as this instrument for cutting it up and examining these individual parts and thinking about these individual parts and that, that last kind of devastating um, half a line, line break, and then the final line, in hope to find something in you to love that will love me back, which has this kind of suggestion of, I have these things that I love about you, but I'm not sure which parts of you love me back. That is, is such a, uh, such a, forgive the pun, cutting line. Um, <laughs> that, uh, you had to. <laughs> that, um, that, yeah, that really does get some, get at something. He's presenting himself to the city. Um, he's a, he's a poet. So what he has are his words and, Naming the thing, identifying the thing, naming the problem, naming the, uh, naming the complaint. Um, but yeah, not ruling out the idea that there's something in, in the city to love. Um, Mm -hmm. but it very frequently does not love you back. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, our, our city government certainly doesn't love us back. Um, (laughs) our baseball teams don't love us back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah I'm, um, I'm, I'm more devastated reading that ending uh, than I was when I read this um, again last night. Yeah, it's it's a, <laughs> it's a good turn, that little um, six or seven line uh, right. part you isolated there. Yeah. Um, yeah, what a way to end the poem. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. That's one examination of the city. That's uh, one. You've got another way for us to think about this. I have another one. It's, um, it's a little more... Um, Mine is a little bit more uh, specific and less entire city. Right. Um, this is uh, from Kevin Koval. Uh, Kevin Koval, the uh, uh, artistic director for Young Chicago Authors, who we were talking about up at the jump. Really excellent book. This is from his uh, People's History of Chicago. 
um, obviously a reference to Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States. Um, it's a 77-poem uh, collection, a nod to the 77 neighborhoods in Chicago, which I didn't know until today, and I thought that was pretty cool. So I picked this one because I share the experience of the title. Um, I also wasn't in Grant Park when Obama was elected because I had a 12-page paper due the next day that I hadn't started. <laughs> so I was stuck watching it on TV. <laughs> Um, but anyway, this is, uh, I wasn't in Grant Park when Obama was elected. I was on the Ave, listening to the only democracy I believe in, the longest-running youth open mic in America. I was listening to the young and the working, black and unemployed, queer and radical imaginations, dreaming, narrating the city, country they see and fear. We were in a room of a hundred the street lamps of Milwaukee Avenue, our spot light and faithful ear. Downtown, the pageantry projected on the planet, protected by guns and CPD. A Chicago transplant invoked the dreams of the founding fathers, not their captives nor workers. The crowd screamed, droned the chant, yes, we can. We were on the Ave, laughing because we don't believe you. You need more people or different ones. We were not taken with a president-elect, a United States senator who stood for war abroad and in the streets. Those here tonight have left to be free of, for a few and devised strategy on how to build the block back up for real, not wanting for a trickle-down or excuses about how the bill becomes law. We watch Schoolhouse Rock, motherfucker, and stay rocking the school in the city of House and Big Bill Haywood. Our black presidents are killed and rounded up in the prison every day. I wasn't in Grant Park when Obama was elected, celebrating how great the country is. I was scheming on the Ave with the people, cooking up a new one. You know, my my first thought. Yes. <laughs> I read this and I had a moment where I was like, really? You all, you all still had, <laughs> um, uh, I guess it was a Chicago Young Authors event, you know, and they have routine things. You all still did it on the night of the election. And then I had to like call back. I was like, yeah, if it's a thing they do every Tuesday night, they're not going <laughs> to stop. <laughs> I absolutely know that's true. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> and I'll, I will lead outside of the poem as well. Uh, I, I was there. In Grant Park. I'm jealous. Um, and uh, I waffled on my choice. I either had a class that night or similar, like had something big do. So I waited till the very last minute. Um, I only made it because of the Loyola shuttle, which was like Loyola students can only take this thing. And it goes from the campus up north to downtown. And I ran into some people um, who I'm friends with. Um, I'm way less close to now. Um, and so like attended with them, but they weren't like my closest friends. And I have pictures of them. I have pictures of Michigan Avenue, which was like absolutely nuts afterwards, just completely shut down and filled with people. Yeah. Um, but because I'm not super close with these people, I don't have any pictures of myself there that night. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I do that all the time. Right. I never take pictures of things in the moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Um, that also, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm just like I'm thinking like, wait, how long ago was that again? That was twelve years ago. Yeah, yeah, twelve years ago. Two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. Yeah. Time is really hard right now. Um, Time's tough because that feels so long ago. Oh yeah, it feels like an eternity ago. And what a twelve years it has been. Because um, I do remember the hopefulness on that night, and uh, mm-hmm. I do remember watching it on TV and like really feeling like I was witnessing history, like history was turning a page. And right. I am not as disappointed in the Obama administration as some of my leftist friends, but like ever since 2008, it has been a slow trickle of disappointments leading to, you know, yeah. gesturing vaguely at 2020. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I love that, um, you know, the, the, the theme of this book in keeping with the Howard's in reference is like a focus on working class people as opposed to the powerful. He's skeptical of the powerful throughout the book. Right. Um, and I think especially taking that night to highlight most of what he talks about Obama about in the book uh-huh. is really interesting. I also feel like what he does really well is he's kind of like, he's kind of doing in this poem just he's by, by attacking, you know, the most powerful person in the world, the president. Right. Um, with his, you know, group of radical imaginations, his group of queer and black and unemployed and uh, kids and whomever, um, he's sort of illustrating with the poem what organizing and movement building is. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a uh, um, poetry turns a series of images into something greater than the sum of its part, and that's the goal of organizing to turn a bunch of individuals into a united movement, um, right. and like. I, I think that he does that really well with this poem. Like uh, one, one, one thing that jumped out to me was uh, the juxtaposition of downtown pageantry projected on the planet, protected by guns and CPD. Right. Like what better way to sum up any like major event in Chicago. Um, right. And I'm, I'm a big fan of major events in Chicago. I even defend taste of Chicago, even though nobody else likes it. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it is, there's a lot of, pageantry protected by one of the most ruthless police departments in America. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I just think that's a kind of an ex- expert turn with what he's doing with the, uh, sure. with the poem. Sure. Um, I like that, that you, you took that to the turn of, of organizing because as apparently I'm going to do like once every other episode, not quite Nars Poetica, but this did feel a little bit of um, like some of the kind of the mission of that work of really kind of any like youth writing program, you know, is, is giving young people a chance, um, you know, to, to use language, to use words, to kind of reimagine and reorganize the world, Yeah, um, you know, and, and, and to kind of, um, you know, if, if you as committed writers see writing, having that ability, um, you know, to kind of create that space um, where young people can do that together. Um, you know, and, and we, we said this, I feel like last week of like, I so badly wish um, a space like that was around for me Oh um, yeah, when I was younger. Because yeah, it, it, the, that, I guess there's not actually a stanza break, but there's like the big bit of space um, right above, we were on the ab laughing because we don't believe you. You need more people or different ones. We were not taken with a president-elect, a United States senator who stood for war abroad and in the streets. Where did I want to go? I wanted to skip down. Ah, I lost what I was looking for. I don't know. Speaking of needing different people, one of those one of Obama's people was Rahm Emanuel, who went on to be 
one of the worst mayors in the city's history. <laughs> um, but yeah, to, to your point, I do think that, um, you know, and this is, this is aspirational and, uh, mm-hmm. um, maybe, um, shows a bias I have as a writer. Um, writing is not political organization, but I do feel like a lot of political organization begins with writing. Like you're saying, mm-hmm. using language to imagine a different world, to rebuild the world, to figure out, um, to take things apart. And like, uh, uh, like Williams was saying in your poem, cut you down to your particulars. Um, mm, right. and, uh, uh, yeah, I think I think there's uh, something in writing that wants to um, that wants to be organizing, sort of like we were talking about last week with um, wanting to make writing public uh, mm-hmm. so that right. it can be shared. Right. There's a like right on that like a line of thought. There's um you know kind of classic like phrase it one way towards the beginning and switch it up by the end of black unemployed and queer and radical imaginations. Dreaming, narrating the city country they see and fear. Great line break. The country they yeah. see and fear. Oh, yeah. So kind of up at the top that it's it's about speaking, um, you know, their experience and their truth. Um, but then when we get to the bottom, um, that it's, it's we're scheming together. We're cooking up a new one. Um, yeah. But I think, I, I think that's really cool. Yeah, I do like that a lot. Yeah, that's a that's I didn't think about it that way as as them kind of bookending those two images bookending the poem, but they do, and it's it is a nice a nice little twist there. I also liked, uh, you know, we're talking about again as as a, an, an indictment of the powerful, but in you know less than a stanza, he gets from uh, we were not taken with the president elect uh, mm-hmm. all the way down to uh, the city of House and Big Bill Haywood, um, and you know House music is a uh, you know, style of music that was kind of, you know, made by people just working with the resources they had. And then big Bill Haywood, of course, socialist organizer in the city, um, uh, to get from the most powerful position in the world, um, and sort of critiquing that and, uh, questioning if it's even possible to be uh, a good, a good person and good president down to on the ground organizers and, and, uh, working class artists making their own way is a, is a good move in a single stanza, I think. Chicago. Chicago, man. So, um, I wanted to do a little open-ended, uh, thing for the, uh, for the basketball question this week. Um, cause I have another, um, for the second straight week, I'm going to be a little sentimental and tell a story. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so is there anything about Chicago basketball that just, sticks out to you is there a positive memory you have at a bulls game or um you know a park or a court you used to love to play at or something like that uh particularly good pickup game memories that you have here or something like that i'll go first while you think sound good okay so mine is saint patrick's day 2011 this was the first year tom thibodeau was coaching the bulls and it was before Derrick Rose had uh, had his injuries, and when it was it was a it was a really hopeful time to be a Bulls fan. Um, okay. Really, sort of seemed like we were on pace to get a championship at some point in the next few years. Um, and I remember, I can't remember if you were there or not. I know um, a couple of our friends were, but we went to that game. We had standing room only tickets. Ooh. Is this ringing a bell to you I at all? You weren't there. Oh, bummer. Okay. Um, well, a lot of our our uh, our, our mutual friends, our, our mutual uh, basketball loving friends, were there, and um, 
the entire 1991 team was there because it was the 20th anniversary of the championship. Wow. Yeah. So everyone, I think uh, everyone except for Phil Jackson and um, for some reason, I don't think BJ Armstrong or Horace Grant were there, but they, they pre-recorded video messages. And then Pippen got up and gave a talk, uh, you know, gave like just a little like crowd rousing speech. And then MJ got up and gave a talk. And I remember he had ended it with, you know, we won some chance, something like he said, something like we won some championships. Um, and it looks like with this group, you guys can get six more. And we're just up there in the standing room section, just like losing our minds because it felt possible. back then. <laughs> um, and then uh, after the game, we all went to a wonderful tavern in uh, Lakeview called Guthrie's and uh, had some St. Patrick's Day Guinnesses and played board games all night because that's what you do at Guthrie's. Or should I say did, because sadly Guthrie's has uh, fallen uh, uh, fallen victim to the pandemic and just closed permanently last week. So I wanted to give a little shout out to Guthrie's, the first bar I ever drank in because they never carted people. Um <laughs> <laughs> a uh, wonderful Lakeview Tavern with a great board game collection. So shout out to you, Guthrie's. <laughs> that's my Chicago basketball story. Wow. Oh, that's good. <laughs> um, I can't even begin um, to think of the number of courts in the city that I love. It's a terrible one to play at, but there's a, just, you know, a, a beautiful court on the lake. The one on Foster? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If there's sand everywhere and it's windy, but I... <laughs> Such a bad court to play at. <laughs> but I, I'm there with some frequency because it's walking distance from my house. Right. Um, Our friend Kevin um, used to live near, kind of like there's a, it's one of the charter schools... Um, and there was like a park and a court attached to it. Um, and we would go play there every once in a while and had a number of, you know, of like me and him, maybe, um, you know, someone else sometimes, you know, shooting around and some kids, you know, want to join in, um, yeah. you know, had pickup games with kids, um, who I think often didn't realize how much older we were. <laughs> yes. Um, that's a real, those memories I really, really love. There was one day where they started uh, booing me. <laughs> the, the, uh, the joke became that I was a bully. For, <laughs> I think I remember this. Yeah, <laughs> uh, playing a little too a little too aggressive against some. Uh, Can't young, box out teenagers, Bob. <laughs> um, but I mean, on the other hand, though, the one that could, does come to mind probably the most, and it was me, Kevin, Anuj, and uh, we go there, and there's just a ton of kids playing. And they invite us to play 21 with them. Is it 21? I don't know why. I'm, it's, I've, it's been so long since I've played that. Oh, sure. I, rules. I mean, we always played 32, which is a little bit less complicated right. than 21. Uh, I mean, the same general idea, though. You know? Yeah. But I had never played it with probably like 16 people. Like, it was oh, God. the most crowded thing. Um, and uh, we were all just so sore afterwards from, you know, just like, yeah. We're trying to get a rebound. How do you ever get a rebound? Sixteen person game of thirty-two. God. <laughs> Sounds like a night and it probably lasted forever because oh, and someone else is getting Oh man. Oh, but it was uh, that was like a particularly like wow, that was a fun game. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's what I thought. I, yeah, as much as like having that many people is incredibly not practical. Um, one of the things that I thought afterwards, like, man, if I was, if I was playing with that many people, um, when I was younger, I'd be a lot better and also be a lot stronger. Like, right. <laughs> Be stronger, and you probably be uh, probably have better handle just because you're having to dribble through 16 people <laughs> in a half court. Oh. oh boy! Shout out to pick up basketball. Shout out um, to pick up basketball. Very afraid of like one of these days, just going to be too old to play anymore. I know. I'm a little afraid of that too. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess we just we'd have to keep playing with each other and people our age group. Um, <laughs> Shout out to uh, parenting. Um, having a kid is forcing me to get back into shape because uh, <laughs> so so maybe maybe in maybe in a few years I'll be uh, I'll be back in game shape. Well, that's our first, almost certainly not last episode about Chicago literature. Our music is produced by Brendan Johnson. Our art design is by A.M. Strickland. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next week. See ya.